we doing okay back there, Michelle? All good, okay. Don't forget to give them back after the service, children, just so you know we can use them next weekend. But you can take the pieces of paper home. It'll be brilliant. Last week we just started, last, last week was last year. Um, sounds funny, isn't it? You can't say that all the time on a Sunday morning, but we can today. And uh, I saw a little series, and it was on Luke chapter 17. Um, and uh, it was about, who knows what it was about? Thanksgiving. Did someone say that? Gratitude? Thanksgiving? Who remembers that? Okay. And, and, and we looked at Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19, and there was this story that Jesus talked about healing the 10 lepers, if you might remember that story in the Bible. And, and 10 of them, he said, go and present yourself to priests. Halfway there, or sometime during that process of walking to the priest, they were healed, and one sees he's healed, he peeks under the bandages, no more leprosy. He turns around, he comes back to Jesus and says, thank you. And he kneels and surrenders to Christ. And not only does he receive healing because of his gratitude, he receives wholeness. Wholeness of body, mind, salvation, that word means. So a whole bunch more. Isn't it amazing? Gratitude lifts your attitude, doesn't it? Are we there this morning? The more you kind of respond, the better the Holy Spirit preaches. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the Holy Spirit. I wasn't inferring that. I'm just saying, you know, that it, but he likes to anoint. It opens up a heart. So uh, we spoke about gratitude. Um, so if we today were just to turn to Luke chapter 17 again and, uh, and just continue looking at this chapter, the reason I wanted to, because Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And if you know, the reason he's on his way to Jerusalem is because he is going to be facing crucifixion, ultimately resurrection as well, but he's facing, he's facing a difficult time and his disciples are with him and he's teaching them along the way because, and he's preparing their lives for when he will not be with them because they will be the ones ministering and not him. And so he's teaching them some of the Christian ethics or some of the Christian principles of doing life, Christian life well. And so that's what, so it's a very critical period in their lives, a critical period in Jesus' life. And so he's teaching these, and Luke chapter 17 encompasses that in what he teaches them. In verses 11 uh, through to 19, he talks about Thanksgiving. Verses 1 to 6, what we'll look at right now, he touches and talks about another powerful principle uh, to the disciples. So let's read that. It says, Then he said to the disciples, It's impossible that no offenses will come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than he should offend one of these little ones. If you ever wondered what the word little ones is talking about, it's not just talking about children, it's talking about new Christians, new believers. Um, and that encompassed a whole bunch of people. They weren't just little, they were older people who were new Christians, the tax collectors and prostitutes. So he was saying, you know, he was talking about that. Um, Take heed to yourselves, in verse 3, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you, saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostles, or the disciples, said to the Lord, in response to that, they said, increase our faith. And so the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to the mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Ah... Jesus says here, it's impossible to live life and not face the opportunity for offense. Would you agree? 
I think that's a reality. Maybe this morning as you came to church, you had an opportunity for offense. I don't know. I know the other day when I was coming out of the shopping center onto Phillips Street, um, when I said the other day, it was last year, so it's a while ago, but that wasn't too long ago, was it? Uh, it was a while ago. And, and, and what I thought was just being careful, obviously, was being too slow for someone else. And as I pulled into that, kind of, I got to that halfway between, you know, in the medium section, I was parked there waiting for cars to let me in. A lot of cars coming down towards that major intersection at Phillip Street there near McDonald's. And as I'm parked there, a, a person, a man, drives past me, around me. I don't know how he fitted, and he had his window down, but I had mine up, but I still heard what he said. <laughs> <laughs> and he gave me a couple explicit words. And that uh, should never be repeated. Uh, and, uh, and I, and I kind of guessed that I, I kind of straight away, well, I'm obviously too slow for him. And he, you know, that was what ticked his box. And so he decided he'd tick mine or try and tick mine. And uh, right there was an opportunity to be offended as he was quite offensive. There's an opportunity to be offended. And to be honest, I was offended for a little while. Uh, you know, why do you have to give me, what, you know, why swear at me like that when I'm just trying to be careful in my driving? You know, who knows when you get over 45, you obviously drive more carefully. Well, that's what I thought I was doing. Maybe I was being too slow. Maybe I've just got old person syndrome and I just drive slow. I don't know. But to be honest, I was a little offended, and, uh, and I thought it, but as I started to think about it, I realized I wasn't really his problem. He was in a hurry for a whole lot of other reasons that I didn't know about, and I just happened to be the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. And so I happened to be the person he vented his anger at because he'd had a bad day, and someone had been upsetting him all day, and now I'm the person who upset him near the end of the day, and so he was going to release the anger, release the beast on me. And that's what he did. So I contemplated that. And so in a very short amount of time, I was able to process that and move on, which was good because he only got 50 meters down to the intersection and the lights went red. He had to park there. And I happened to kind of go past him and go left along Dawson <laughs> Highway. And so I was very tempted to give him the evil eye or to give him something else because he's now held up by traffic. And I'm thinking, hmm. Revenge is mine, says the Lord. <laughs> but I remember that verse. I thought, God, I've got to leave it with you. And the truth is, even the smallest smirk would have been indication that I was still offended. So I just had to hold my issues and deal with it and move on. And I did praise God. But the truth is, it's easy to find a place. Offense will come and slap you in the face sometimes. Offense. Okay, that's true, isn't it? Um, but in verse 1, Jesus uses the word offense in this passage. He says, offenses will come. It's a given in life. But then in verse 2, he uses the word offense again, but he uses a different, different thought, a different terminology. He uses the word offended. Because, church, you've got to realize there's a difference between being offense, having an offense come at you and being offended by the offense. There's a difference. Sometimes we've got to recognize that and realize that offenses will come, but don't 
fall into the trap of being offended. See, the word offense in verse 1 means trapstick. Now, I'll explain that in a moment. But the word in verse 2, offensive or offended, means entrapped. So there's a difference between getting, having offense come at you and being offended. There's a difference. I was... Um, when I was eight years of age, I used to uh, enjoy going to my grandparents' place, and there was a couple reasons for that. They owned this shop, and there was free ice creams and free things called lemmingtons, and, and so I enjoyed it for that reason. But there was another reason I enjoyed that place is because they had an enormous backyard. In actual fact, it was more like a little property. And um, on one occasion, I remember a little activity I'd done with my big sister, uh, Sue and her good friend, and that activity was is that we were trying to catch pigeons. I don't know what we were going to do with the pigeons, but we were trying to catch them. And we had this box, uh, and it was sitting up on one corner, and the other corner side was resting on a stick. This is what I remember. And then there was a piece of rope or fishing on or something, and it, run, it was tied to the stick, and it ran all the way back to where we were hiding in the grass or just over the edge so pigeons couldn't see us. And underneath the box was a bunch of seed, bird seed. You got the picture? Yeah. So the idea, you know what's going to happen, is the pigeon flies down, he sees the bird seed, he walks into the box, we pull the string, the stick, the trap stick pulls out, the box falls down, you got a pigeon. What you do with it then, I wouldn't have a clue. But who cares? It was just the fun of thinking we could catch one. I never caught one in that time. Now, whether my talk, I don't know, Sue here today? No, she's not. Well, talk to her. I don't know. I should ask her, did you ever catch one? Because I certainly didn't. But the re interesting thing about that story is, is the, the trap stick is the Greek word for offense. Okay? So the trap stick isn't the trap. It's the opportunity to be trapped, but it's just an offense. And I, and I think we've got to distinguish between what's the, just the offensive and what we become offended by. Because sometimes we've got to realize, pull yourself up before you walk in under the box. Because when you walk into the box and have the seed and the trap stick is released, the box will fall and you'll be entrapped. How do we get entrapped? We get entrapped with feelings and, and, and desires of revenge and bitterness and unforgiveness and anger, don't we? That's what entraps us and is destructive to our mental health. But if you would realize that, it, that the whole offense thing is, is a trap to suck you in to get entrapped. And, and, and sometimes we think the offense is the trap. No, it's just the trap stick. It's just the bait. It's just the, it's just the thing that will, will be the catalyst for you to be entrapped. Um, and you've got to be careful the stick was the trap stick. It set off the trap and the very meaning of the Greek word offense. And just because you see a trap doesn't mean you need to be entrapped. I see offenses. Doesn't mean you need to. You see, the trap stick, the, you see trap sticks every day, every week maybe at least. The offensive word, the, the uh, person cut you off in traffic, uh, your husband or your wife seems to irritate you. Is anybody understand that? Uh, no? Okay. Many different things happen that could react to what, but recognize someone in church says something wrong or does something that you're upset with. And it's just, it's, please recognize, it's just, it's just the trap stick. It's not the trap. But if you engage 
with the thoughts of unforgiveness and take it further and get upset and angry and bit, then you're trapped. And you've got to be aware of that. See, see the, the offensive word, the person who cuts you off, you're not entangled until you walk under the box and start to eat the seed. And the stick is pulled. Here's the title of my message. Don't eat the seed. If you don't remember anything else about this message, remember that. What is it? Don't eat the seed. It's just a trap. <laughs> There's a difference between offense and being offended. Okay. So uh, here's what Jesus is saying to you today. Under, be unoffendable pigeons and don't eat the seed. Uh, and as I said, I never caught any birds because we never, I, I don't know. So they were obviously unoffendable pigeons. I never got caught when I was there anyway. So uh, the word, if we go on to verse 3, there's verse 1 and 2, just some thoughts there. Verse 3, Jesus says something pretty meaningful. He, he says, um, he, says um, he uses the word forgive. And the word forgive is a very powerful word, um, as much as the word offense is a powerful word of, of being offended. Um, and to explain the word forgive, you've probably got all an understanding of some element of forgiveness, but let me explain it this way. This word means this, assume that you need to borrow $100 from a friend because you've got a medical expense, and so the friend willingly gives you the $100, and you say you'll pay them back at the end of the month. The end of the month turns up, and you can't pay it. And you say to the friend, he says, that's okay. And then, uh, unfortunately, the second and third and fourth month come past, and you still can't pay the $100 back. And then your friend comes to you, and out of the kindness of his heart and love for you and support, he says, I forgive the debt. I forgive the debt. That word forgive means to release or to put away the debt. It means that literally means that in the Greek. It means to owe nothing anymore. It means to dismiss. Isn't that a great thought? That's what forgiveness is: is to put it away, release, to dismiss it. And so, so when you grant forgiveness, you dismiss the debt owed to you, and you dismiss the debt from your thoughts as well. I'm not going to think about it anymore. It's finished with. It's I've dismissed it. I've forgiven. I've released it. Okay, and when you receive forgiveness, so that's when you receive forgiveness, your debt is dismissed. You're, you are released from receiving, um, from requiring any payment or to, to pay for it. See, see, it works both ways. If you have to forgive someone or someone has to forgive you, you don't have to pay them uh, back because you've been forgiven. You're dismissed. You don't have to pay the debt. Isn't that wonderful? Because of what you've done to them, because they've forgiven you. It's a wonderful opportunity. It's a wonderful example. Jesus expressed the heart of forgiveness when he said this in Luke 6, 27. He says, just really simple, love your enemies, good, good, do good to those who hate you, okay? Do good to those who hate you. That's simple as that. Love your enemies, do good. He was, he was expressing the heart of forgiveness. Jesus says, take heed to yourself in verse 3. Did you notice that? In verse 3, he says, take heed to yourself. Um, in other words, he's saying, examine yourself. Uh, and the NIV says, watch yourself. In other words, be aware of the state of mind you're in. You're being enticed. If you feel like there's a fence comes your way, if you can see a trap stick, um, um, here's the point. Don't eat the... You're just being enticed by the seed. He says, that's what you've got to do. He's saying, watch yourself. Take heed to yourself. 
In other words, don't eat the seed. When Jesus was being crucified on the cross, his enemies never apologized. Did you notice that? The guys who, who, who nailed him there never, never repented, never apologized. Yet he extended the heart of forgiveness. He extended the heart of release from their debt. He extended the heart of putting it away, dismissing it. And he said this, Father, would you forgive them for they don't know what they're doing? He looked beyond what they did to him and realized that like my friend who gave me a couple choice words when I wasn't driving fast enough for him, I looked beyond that and see there's other reasons and Jesus saw that with these people um, as they nailed him, had nailed him to the cross. They didn't know what they were really doing. I think a lot of people who offend us don't really know what they're doing and, uh, and the way they go about it. He chose to forgive, but he understands they didn't know what they were doing. Often, if you look a little beyond the initial offense, you can see the reason for the offense and not walk under the box and eat the seed. If you just stop for a moment, put the emotion aside and just see what really is causing it. Don't take it personally. Wow, that's a big one, isn't it? Sometimes we take it very personally, and it's not to be taken personally. Um, I, uh, the other day, I remember I shared a story some weeks ago. I was about to come back to Gladstone. I got up at 6 o'clock in the morning with my family. Everything was packed. I was looking forward to getting home to Gladstone early. And when I got out of bed and went to my car, I had a flat tire. Who knows that upset my day? I was upset with that. Okay, because I knew it was a process of then changing the tire and then finding a place to get the tire fixed because I wasn't going to drive home to Brisbane without a, a, a spare tire. And, you know, in the process, I think I might have spoke some harsh words to my wife. Oh, no. You didn't think I ever did that, did you? <laughs> Thankfully, she realized I wasn't upset with her. I'm just upset with the situation. She wasn't offended, and she learned to look beyond the offense. She didn't take the seed. So many times, you've got to realize people are just upset sometimes with circumstances, and you're the person who's standing in the opportunity for them to give it to you. Uh, you've got to look beyond, Okay. You gotta look beyond. Okay, uh, I know that it doesn't. Not all offenses are that way, but you gotta realize. As we go into verse four, Jesus mentions something in verse four. He's, he talks about this seven times. How many times? And if he sins against you seven times in a day, seven times in a day return saying, "I will forgive you." Now that's interesting because if you might be aware, but if you're not, that's fine. But there's a reference of that in Matthew chapter 18 when Jesus and the disciples had a discussion about forgiveness. And Peter pipes up and says, hey, Jesus, how many times should we forgive? Should it be, how about seven times? And Jesus responds by saying, no, 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 not seven times, but 70 times seven, which is 490, if you were counting, Okay. But if you're not counting, uh, just I'll just pull this. That's better. Um, realize something there. So we see in Luke chapter Luke's gospel puts what was um, said in Matthew's gospel. Um, stay. Um, when Luke repeats it in Matthew's gospel. And, uh, sorry, from Matthew's gospel, Luke repeats it, but the whole story is outlined in Matthew 18. The interesting thing about Peter, when he 
initiated that conversation and said to Jesus, what, how many times do we forgive? Seven. He, he was actually being above the law. Do you know what Jewish Pharisees and scribes thought? That when you've done something wrong to God, this is their tradition, when you've done something wrong to God, if it was or something wrong, God would forgive you three times, but on the fourth time, you would feel the eternal wrath of God on your life if it was the fourth time. That's what they believed. That was their tradition. It wasn't even, a, it was their thoughts. So the Jewish people then took on a tradition when, well, what's good enough for what God believes is good enough for us. If someone sins three times, we'll forgive them. Fourth time, they're out. Three strikes and you're what? Out. So the Jewish tradition was that was the tradition. So when Peter said seven times, he was actually being really gracious. He was going four times more than the tradition. Three. He, he was thinking, oh, Jesus is going to like me for this. I'm going a bit and beyond the, beyond the call of duty here. I'm going to go seven times. And Jesus comes back at him and teaches him a little bit of a formula, if you could call that, and says, no, not seven times. You know, Peter, you're just locked. You're even, that's, see, the law is all about limits. Grace is all about unlimited. See, the law says, this is how many times. The grace of God and the forgiveness of God says, no, there's no limit to the forgiveness issue. Okay? There's no limit to it. And he says, Peter, you got it all wrong. And Peter thought he was, should be due for a bit of encouragement and praise, four times above what the law says. No, Jesus says, no, 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 70 times 70, you know. In other words, it really wasn't a formula for how many times. It was a formula for unlimited forgiveness that, that Jesus was trying to communicate. Record keeping is not considered, okay? Don't keep... Um, um, and a Christian with a forgiving heart thinks nothing about he forgives the hundredth offense or the thousandth offense just as readily and graciously as the first because that's the way he's forgiven by God. How many times has God forgiven me over my lifetime? I don't know. Thousands? Every day? Yeah, I think so. What about you? Yeah. He's a pretty good God. If he kept the record of all them and kind of stacked them up against me and my entry into heaven, you know, was dependent on how many times if you get over 10,000, you just don't make it. And you get to the pearly gates and someone says to you, you were 10,001 times, you blew it. Wouldn't that be a down day? So the grace of God is extended. Does that mean we just keep on doing the wrong thing? And we know God's no, no. Notice Scripture says if you if He comes to you and asks for forgiveness, God will forgive them. It's asking. We gotta we gotta continue to seek God's mercy and forgiveness. I'm just glad that His mercies are new every 24 hours. Wow, that's good. I like that one. So you can go to Him every day. Don't wait for Sunday to Sunday. Just go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Jesus was set, not setting a daily limit, but rather the opposite. He was speaking of repeated, regular sinning that is committed many times a day and forgiving, corresponding repeat of forgiveness. Okay? Um, you think about it, relationships. You think about who we get offended so easily by. It's the people sometimes closest to us. It's the co-worker. It's the spouse, the husband, the wife, the, the sibling, the child, the parent, and the child or the 
cousin or the relative or the person. You know, it's the person closest to us that we sometimes um, get offended mostly by. It's interesting, isn't it? It's not the stranger usually that we hold on to offense. We don't really know them, but the people that we hold close, sometimes you've got to deal with that, haven't you? Oh, just three of us. Hmm. It's, it's not often that we hold grudges against strangers, but against those seeking to do we do life with. And in Proverbs 17, 17, says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. You see, this verse assumes something, that a friend will love. A friend will love that we have this relationship, but they're going to predetermine their attitude of love towards me. Michelle often says to me, when, when we have this discussion together that we kind of maybe, maybe you know, differ a little bit, she says, I still love you. I said, gee, I'm glad about that. You know, she's a friend that loves even though, you know, I, I do the wrong thing towards her and she has to come and tell me, you know, just wake up to yourself. No, she's not that bad. But a friend loves, they, in other words, if they're going to love, they're going to predetermine their attitude no matter what happens in this relationship. In other words, they will talk to me when I hurt them with a, pre, with a predisposition to work it out. They'll speak not with angry words, but sincere words. They will not assume till they have spoken to me. They won't, we often assume too much. Oh, this is, what, this is what it means. No, 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 just talk. The world is lesser place because of the lack of communication, open and honest communication, isn't it? Which is so important. How would it, be if, how would it look if we did that for every offensive opportunity? And even when we have no opportunity to speak with people, are we always assume the attitude of thinking the best of them and not the worst, no matter what is said or spoken to us? I love the story. There's a Native American Indian who was speaking to his grandchildren. He was teaching them a parable, and he said to them one day, he said, I have two wolves and they're battling with inside me. And the children, wide-eyed, two wolves, grandfather. What are, they, what are these wolves doing? He says, well, one wolf, it's a terrible fight. The first wolf represents anger and envy and resentment and unforgiveness and revenge. And the other wolf, he said, represents peace and hope and kindness and forgiveness. And the grandchildren thought about it for a minute. And they said to his, one of the grandchildren popped up and said, which wolf will win? And the grandfather simply looked at the child and said simply this, the one I feed the most. And you know, today it's what you feed the most when the offense stands there and wants to slap you in the face. Are you going to feed the thoughts that take you to the offensive and eat the seed? Or are you going to step back and just for a moment let your mind go to the place of, hey, hey, let's just think about this logically. Let's not allow our minds to go to that place of bitterness or regret or revenge, things like, or anger, but let's step back and let's consider the realities. Let's consider, let's just think about this. Not assume too much. See, whatever you feed the most will win. Which wolf? There's two wolves within inside us that battle sometimes. Which will you feed the most? Um, as we move on in this verse, if you go down right down to the bottom, verse, verse 6, um, you'll see something. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our... In response to this whole teaching and talking about offenses and forgiveness... The disciples say something, increase our faith. That seems like a strange request after such an initial conversation was taking place in regards to forgiveness. Because I would think the disciples would say, increase our love, increase our, our forgiveness, but not increase our faith. But when you think about it, church, when you think about it, um, it takes living faith to obey the instructions and forgive others. 
It takes living faith to be able to dismiss and release the problems to God and not seek your revenge or want others to be hurt, but trust in God. It takes faith to take care that He'll take care of the consequences. It'll take faith to handle the possible misunderstandings. It takes faith that He'll work everything out for good and for His glory. But you've got to hand it over to Him, dismiss it to Him, release it to Him. And it takes faith to do that. It not only takes a will and love of people, but it takes a faith to trust Him with what you can't handle yourself. Can you see the point I believe Jesus is making? Because He mentions a mustard seed and he says in asking he says you know this mustard seed it's very small but if you plant it it'll grow into quite a big bush a big kind of not a massive tree but a quite a big um, bush he says it's interesting something so small your faith can be just so small but if you just would put your trust and dependency upon me it will grow as you see you know God always takes you sometimes in levels of trust and faith so what was offensive to you today uh, sorry, what was offensive to you 10 years ago today, you might find that's not offensive at all because I've learned to trust God that he's going to handle it. It's a growing in faith in 2019 about this whole thing about forgiveness. You've got to grow in faith in it. You've got to, it's just not having a, a, you know, it's not just love alone, but it's faith that God's got it. He's, he's going to take care of it. To forgive someone does not mean that you, you don't want justice. It's just that it simply means that you're leaving the offense entirely in God's hands and you're refusing to harbor hateful feelings towards your offender. And you're releasing it. And you know what? You don't have to know whether God gets them back or not. You don't have to know. Sometimes you find out years later, but you don't have to know because it's finished with, it's dismissed. And you're trusting, and you've got faith to trust God. Can I have the singers and musicians this morning come? Some of you would be aware um, um, of a lady called Corrie Ten Broom, Bloom, 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 whatever you want to call it. Yeah, you can correct me later. Um, but Corrie was a book I read as a teenager called The Hiding Place. She lived in Holland with her father and her mother and her sister. In 1939 to 1945, the Germans invaded through Europe, and they took control of countries. And countries didn't have big armies, and they just, you know, allowed the, had to let the Germans in. And, and Holland was one of those places. And, and, but her father and family, they were, they were kind of Jewish Dutch people, and, and they would take, and they were Christians, and so they would take all the Jews, because the Germans were collecting the Jews taking them to concentration camps, and, and you know the rest of the story of how they were killed and murdered in the gas chambers. So Corrie and her dad and her sister Betsy and family were hiding Jews. They made this special room under their stairs, and they were hiding the Jews under there. And eventually, halfway kind of through the war, maybe about 1942, they were found out, and they were... Betsy and Corrie were taken to a concentration camp called Ravensbrück. It was a terrible, it was a, it was a terrible concentration camp for women. Her father was taken to a men's concentration camp and died as a result of ill treatment in that camp. And for several years, Corrie Ten Boom and her sister Betsy lived in this camp. They were, they were treated horrifically. 
They were treated, uh, they were made to walk before the, the, the soldiers, hundreds of women naked. And the shame for that, would just imagine the shame of that. They were treated, they were camped in these long dormitories with flea-bitten dormitories and little food. And yet, and in the process of time, Corrie's sister Betsy died because of the ill treatment in that concentration camp. Corrie herself survived. She was brought back out of captivity after the war. She was saved as the Americans and the Australians and, the, and the, everybody invaded back into that country and took back the concentration camps. She survived, and she's a Christian. So years later, people said, Corrie, you need to go and share your story. And she started to share her story throughout Europe and preach in churches right till the time she passed away. And she had a powerful testimony of God's love in the midst of those concentration camps. She found room to, to love and to forgive people and to love people and to care. And she had Bible studies and she even nursed. Her sister died in her arms as she loved her. And, and thankfully, her sister, they knew the Lord Jesus. So heaven was her destination. So she preaches these messages and she was in Germany. She's preaching this message at a church just like this one evening and at the end of the service, it's closed up, it's final. She said the last amen. And a man walks up the aisle towards her. He speaks in a very heavy Dutch, um, German accent. And he says, Mrs. Ten Bloom, I just want you to know, I was a guard at Ravensbrook. In actual fact, I remember you. I was there. I don't know if you remember me, but I was there. And he extended his hand and he said, I am a Christian and I've come to know the saving grace of God and he's forgiven me for the atrocities that I, uh, I carried out against you and hundreds of other women. He's forgiven me and I would ask that you would forgive me. Will you forgive me? And he extended his hand. And it says right there, Corrie had these two wolves in a sense fighting within her. One was saying, how could this man possibly ask me to forget and forgive the reality of the shame that he put us through and the fact that my sister died under their care. And it was probably only 30 seconds that she stood there battling within herself, battling within herself because she knew the battle was this. She knew to nurse revenge and bitterness and unforgiveness in her heart would imprison her heart in something that she didn't need to go to. It, was, it would have been worse than Hitler's concentration camps. But to forgive would have been freedom. And so as she battled, this German Christian man stood there, it seemed for eternity, but it was only a matter of seconds, with his hand extended. And with tears in her eyes and tears in his eyes, she finally won the battle and she extended her hand and shook it and said, I forgive you. And she was free. And he was free, and they became friends. I want to tell you, God wants us to live free in 2019, church. He wants you to live free from those things that will come and give you opportunity to be offended. Offense will come, Jesus said, but it's your decision whether you will be entrapped. Opportunity will come to be ensnared, but what will you do? Here's what I want you to do. Don't eat the seed. Can we stand this morning?
let me just pray. And we're going to sing a song of worship unto him. And we're going to solidify and cement that in our hearts today. Heavenly Father, I thank you. And I pray for myself and my brothers and sisters in Christ today. And people here, whether they're visiting or they're regulars. I thank you for every person. Whatever nationality, tongue or creed or race. I thank you that we are one in Christ. And that, Father, we come today acknowledging the same realities that we face offenses. Um, help us, Lord, to not take the bait. Help us, Father, to realize it's just a trap. I know emotion is involved in it, Lord, often, but help us to, to let you come and minister to our emotional hurt sometimes and let your strength be our strength. Father, that we will not fall for what enemy has set for us or the situations, but we will disregard it. We'll walk away and say, no, there's a higher way to do this, and that's Christ's way to forgive. Father, we need strength to do that because it's not easy. Some of the closest people in our life have said some of the worst things to us, and we've got to forgive them. Please help us, Lord. Help us to have faith today. Help us not to have some law of just so many times we'll forgive, but to have faith that we can give it to you and that you've got it covered and that you will deal with it and we don't have to as long as we forgive. Grow our faith. We're like the man in the Bible that says, I have faith, but help me have more faith. We need that, Father. And as we want to walk into this year, help us to walk free, Father, knowing that we don't have to hold it to our hearts, offense but walk free and offended. So, Father, we commit ourselves to you and ask for your strength. Holy Spirit, solidify your truth in our hearts. More than my words, let your word do something powerful, even as we just worship right now in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed, said? Amen. Come on. Let's sing this song. Of your love.